Will you go with me to the book of Luke as we wrap up our fourth week of Advent on Christmas Eve's Eve? We celebrate this Sunday, the theme of which is love. Luke, will you go with me? We're going to be in chapter 1, verses 39 through 56. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is your child, is the child that you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant from now on, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their innermost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. This is the word of God for us, the people of God, and together we say, thanks be to God. As we conclude our Advent series, we've been looking at Advent through the lens of different art pieces. Each week, different art pieces help us think through that. And so this one will be here behind me, and I will refer to it in just a little bit. And so if you haven't been with us during Advent, that is why there's an art piece on the screen. It will be illumined throughout the time of this preaching. But I would like to begin with a prayer. So will you pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts Be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. We thank you for your word. May it always be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all God's people said, amen Amen and amen. I do want to just echo what Brianna said. We hope that you'll stay with us. We have a huge sheet cake in there, so there's pieces for everybody here. Please stay, even if you didn't bring a gift. Just stay and enjoy the baby shower with us. It's going to be a sweet time. Just stick around for just a few minutes after worship. We would love to continue being in fellowship with you. But I want to start my sermon by asking a series of questions, all right? I've got a couple questions for you. They're kind of rhetorical, so you don't have to answer out loud unless you just want to, unless you already know the answer. Um, You can think about these things in your mind. I got my first question is this, all right? Do you think, do you think that a fish knows that it's in water? I mean, think about it. Thank you. So somebody's already got the answer. Appreciate it. Just think about it for a second, right? I'm serious. The fish will probably have no concept of anything other than being in water. So does it know that it's actually in water? Either the fish does not know that it's in water or at a subconscious level, it is like undeniably aware that it lives in water, right? All right, second question. Here we go, ready? Have you, all right, how many individual sound waves are hitting your ears at this very moment? Can you count them all? You're trying right now, aren't you? 
You're trying to think about how many noises am I hearing? How much is each noise, how many sound waves does each noise produce? Like, can you count this at any given time? Can you count the sound waves that are hitting your ear at this moment? It's kind of hard too, because like if, you, if I were to stop talking, you would notice a lot of other noise. You'd, you'd hear the squeaky chair. You'd hear the, the hum of the projector. Every time you remove one source of noise, you kind of find two more that are lying underneath it. So it's kind of like we're inundated with sound all of the time. Last question, all right? Last question. This one's a little more doable. Have you ever been able to identify each individual nitrogen atom that surrounds you at any given moment? Like just all the nitrogen, right? From science class, earth science, you remember, right? The atmosphere is made up of how much nitrogen? Anybody remember? About 80%, you know, almost 80%. Oxygen is, is what we breathe, we take in and keep inside of us, but it's not the most dominant gas that is in the atmosphere, nitrogen is. So have you ever been able to identify all the different nitrogen molecules that surround you at any given moment, right? All right, these questions don't make sense, I know. Two weeks ago, I began my sermon with a pina colada song, and today I'm beginning it with questions that make no sense. Probably thinking, a preacher has once again lost his mind. He has no idea what he's talking about, but I promise I'm as as sane as I need to be to preach, for whatever that's worth. And I have a point to all this, and I even put in my notes to make sure that I wrap this thing up in the end by making sure you understand what I was talking about. Because somebody sent me a text after the pina colada song sermon two weeks ago. I was like, I had no idea where you were going with that, but you wrapped it up nicely. So I'm gonna try to make sure I do that again. Keep those questions in the back of your mind as we continue in this fourth week of Advent. Our theme is love. We've so far talked about hope, peace, and joy. And just for transparency's sake, I, probably, I think I might have mixed those up a little bit. I think we're supposed to be on peace today and we did peace earlier. But because Robbins is doing love, is doing peace today, he already did love. I was like, wait a minute. So I went and looked at every source I could find. And did you know, this is new to me, every different Christian tradition has different orders for the, the, the themes, right? There's actually not one set one. Our Methodist church doesn't even have an official, like you have to do it in this order. I was blown away by that. I just thought I was wrong. I still might be wrong, but I could equally be right also, depending on which tradition you're from. So regardless, we're talking about love today, no matter what order it's supposed to be in. And on Wednesday, I began like majorly racking my brain to try to figure out what does love have to do with it? In <laughs> see what I did there? With this text from Elizabeth and Mary, what, what does love have to say about Christmas, tomorrow, Christmas Eve tomorrow, Mary, Elizabeth, love? I was really, I was meditating on the text. I was praying. I was in my element. Like when I, when I try to do my exegesis, I got to go away by myself. Got to put some soft music on in the background. And I'm just like trying to figure out, get a direction from the Lord. And I got nothing. And then this happened. And this is not a lie. I'm not making this up. Sometimes preachers make things, I'm not making this up. Out of the blue, my wife texts me. My wife texts me, Brianna, she's lovely. She texts me without prompting. She didn't know I was working on my sermon. She didn't know I was talking about love. She didn't know that I was even thinking about these things in the scripture. She just sends me a line, a a one-line text out of nowhere. And she said, love is experiencing infinity. That was it, out of the blue. I I didn't tell her anything. And I texted her back, I was like, say more. (laughs) I was kind of hoping she'd write my sermon for me. But she, she had no idea. It was, just, it was the craziest thing. You know, serendipity is so crazy. I think God works in mysterious ways. I, I believe that I can discern the Holy Spirit is connecting us. And maybe she just knew I needed some, some loving inspiration about love. I started thinking about what, what, is, what does that mean? 
What does it mean that, that love is experiencing infinity? Where did she get that? I mean, I think she's right because we, we use phrases like this all the time, right? Often when we talk about love, in relationship to the idea of like what it is, we try to describe love. We say things like love is not a being. It is being itself, right? It is love is not a thing. It is that which emanates from all things that brings all things into existence. Love is not an action. It is that which allows creation to act. We have all this kind of nebulous language. Love is infinite and has no end, right? That's we hear that in the scripture. Love is, has no ending, no beginning. It's ever present. Like we're using language like this all the time to try to describe love. And the Bible also says that God is love, right? I mean, that's a pretty well-known idea, a well-known concept. But, but like, what does that mean too? So God is also without time, being, end, beginning. Like, there, there's no start or end. God is the alpha and the omega, in um, the New Testament, Paul says, eventually all things will be, God is our all in all, and eventually all things will be Christ loving himself. God is not creation, but is that which brings creation into existence. The Alpha and the Omega, all this mystical language. I mean, how do you describe a reality that is indescribable? Right? That's, that's kind of what love is. It's trying to describe reality as indescribable. Everything we use to describe God and love is just infinite metaphor, right? It's all the best we can do based on what we have access to and how we can use our language. We cannot fully comprehend the fullness of God's existence. And so I started trying to figure out, well, how do I say that in a sermon? All right, God is infinity. God is the infinite. What, what, how do you preach about that that is not super confusing if I've not already confused you Enough. How do you talk about something you can't fully know? Trying to articulate an existence that is beyond comprehension. It'd be like if a fish was trying to describe what, it, what water was. It'd be as if you could count all the sound waves hitting you at any given moment. The reality of love is like the presence of nitrogen in the atmosphere. It is a completely real it is everywhere at all times, and it's impossible to comprehend, to get your mind around, to visualize, to see, to touch in our classical sensory ways. Love, God, is always there. And often we, we can't even put words to it to give it justice. In a way, I kind of feel like Mary was tapping into some similar ideas about trying to describe God, this limitless being, this limitless God. In our story from Luke, Mary encounters Elizabeth, who is also bearing a child. Right after Mary had a vision from the angel in her dream, she goes to her cousin Elizabeth's house, and there she sees Elizabeth is pregnant with John the Baptist, Jesus' BFF. And on, his, on her way in, um, she greet, she's greeted by Elizabeth, the wife of Zechariah. And if you remember... Elizabeth was barren, was not supposed to be able to have kids, and the Lord blessed her with John the Baptist. And that's how the story kind of sets up. And so after Mary got this vision, she decides, I'm going to go see my cousin Elizabeth. And that's what this painting is. It's just a painting about the, the two women coming in to see each other, meeting for, the first, meeting for this time in this story. This painting is taken from the Via Dei Jesus Maffa collection. If you've never heard of it, it's a really cool thing. 
the Jesus Moth Initiative, it was undertaken in the 1970s, um, and it was a way to try to teach the gospel to people in northern Cameroon. Um, French Catholic missionary named Francois Vidil, he, he worked with people in the community to talk about these stories and to reenact them. And he then took a picture of them reenacting it and then had people within the community paint those pictures as a way of being able to tell all the stories about Jesus. There are over 70 of these paintings and they're paintings of the actual people in that community acting out these scenes from the gospel. And so it's not that like some of our other paintings had some like deeper meanings and symbolism. This painting is beautiful just for the way in which it was created and the means for which it was used. It's just a representation of this story where Mary meets Elizabeth. And as this story we just read and as this painting illustrates, um, did you know it's only in Luke? It's not in Matthew, it's not in Mark, it's not in John. Luke wants to make sure to include this narrative in the life of Jesus, um, and it should become no surprise, be no surprise that he does so, because Luke is very concerned with identifying Jesus as the bringer of justice for the vulnerable, of the person who is working on behalf of the oppressed, of the person who's working on behalf of the poor. Constantly, Jesus, in the book of Luke, is always advocating on behalf of the marginalized, and so before Jesus even comes out of the womb, Luke is making sure to include the parts of the story that announce the arrival of the messianic savior. The story picks up after Mary had that vision. She goes to meet Elizabeth and we enter the text. And, and you know what's interesting about this text? There's a lot of interesting things. I mean, it's the Bible. There's tons of interesting things. It can be interpreted in lots of different conversations. But when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, it said that the baby in her belly leapt. She knew, the baby in her belly knew that something was different about this encounter. It's, a, it's kind of unique if you think about it. Um, just by hearing the voice of Jesus' mother, Elizabeth, her, she was filled with the Holy Spirit and the baby leapt in her womb. And in a loud voice, Elizabeth exclaimed, blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. Well, why am I so favored? She said, why am I so lucky? Why am I so blessed that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. It's kind of a strange scene. I mean, it's neat, but it's, if, it's not really normal. I don't, I mean, maybe. So when August was in the womb, I, I felt her kick and everything, but I don't know that she kicked just because she heard me or just because there was, I was in the, room with her. It's cool to think about how Luke is using this story to describe a very unique scene. Elizabeth had not yet known about this prophecy Mary received, yet somehow she speaks of it. She says, blessed are you for you believing in the Lord's promises. She didn't even technically know, like no one had told her that Mary was carrying the son of God, but the Holy Spirit moved in her life so that it was undeniable to her. It's a unique scene. Um, but the next part of the text is the part that I identify most with for our sermon this morning. It's called, um, in most Bibles, Mary's Song. But the traditional way to refer to it is the Magnificat. So if you are from other traditions, you might have heard the Magnificat talked about before. That is this part. That is this text. Mary kind of takes a break from the narrative. Luke stops talking about the story, and there's this kind of monologue song of praise from Mary. And that's what we just read. And she says this, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. Essentially, she's saying, God has seen my humble status. God has seen my lot in life and yet still chooses to use me to carry this great burden, this great responsibility. 
she goes on to say, from now on, all generations will call me blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. I, basically, I will be remembered, not just because of who I am, but because of who God is and what God has done in choosing me and in using me. And this next part is the part that I find so fascinating. She tries to describe God and God's activity. And she says this, his mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in innermost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. There's a bit of absurdity in her saying this at this point in her life and at this point in time in history. Like she's praising God for all these things that God is doing and that God is going to be doing, but none of those things seem to be actually happening. If you think about it, Mary's life up to this point and the life of her people is less than stellar. The Israelites have spent hundreds of years under foreign occupation. It wasn't just like after they came back after the exile, remember they were kicked out of the homeland, they were kicked out of Israel, and then about 550 years before Jesus was born, they were brought back into Israel. They were brought back into their homeland. But it's not like everything was just like hunky-dory from then on out, that everything was perfect. They kept on being invaded and occupied by foreign governments, by foreign rulers. There's actually only 100 years, one century, 103 years, that Israel was actually free of foreign occupation in over a 550-year period. So Israelite, the Israel people, Israelite people have had a tough go of it. And Mary, she was an unwed teenager who was all of a sudden pregnant. And it has been mentioned probably plenty of times. You've, you've heard this narrative. You've heard the, the details that the unwed mothers in first century Palestine were not welcomed. They were not treated well. They were considered um, as, as unclean, part of the social outcasts. That child would forever be having a difficult circumstance in life. So Mary, a teenager, is going through this very unique experience that is probably terrifying She's part of a people group who are that time occupied by Rome and oppressed by a foreign government. And she has the nerve to sing that God has brought down rulers from their thrones and has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but sent away the rich empty. God helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever. Ultimately, this song is a song of praise in light of the fact that God has brought forth this child in her womb and given her this new way of seeing the world. And I'm kind of envious of Mary's clarity. I'm not necessarily jealous of her circumstance or her situation, but she has something that I think we often miss. She's able to to see the invisible. She's able to see something that you and I often miss or unaware of let it go by you see i believe that much of our life is spent looking through the lens of finitude of limit of scarcity we are constantly grazing through this sense of scarcity of not having enough of being self-focused and self-concerned i, I don't have all the things i need I, I, we tend to live in fear fear of death fear of failure fear of not living up to expectations. We are often wrapped up in this false belief that there's a limit 
to what we ought to know, and even worse, a limit to what we're capable of doing. Much of our life is lived through that lens, through that way of viewing the world, scarcity, limit, fear. But Mary seems to have grasped a new vision of reality despite the circumstance of her people and despite her own individual circumstances. Something has happened to Mary that has allowed her to not see the world only as it was, but to see the world as it could be and as God was creating it to be. Her song lets us into her mind and offers us a glimpse of how to understand a new reality. She sees a reality where rulers are brought down and the humble are lifted up. She sees a place where the hungry are fed and the rich are sent away empty. In her world, justice rolls down like streams of mighty waters. Mary sees the reality that is invisible to the rest of the world and it reminds me of a story of a parable. And you know me, mostly, I, I really don't like cheesiness. I don't love cliches. And this is one of those stories that's like hung up in every church. But just because it's cliche doesn't mean it's not a great story. Where, where there's this woman walking along the beach and God was walking beside her. And as she was walking and being in a relationship with God, she looked back and she saw two sets of footprints in the sand. Do you remember this story? She saw two sets of footprints in the sand. And then after a while, she looked back and she saw there was only one set of footprints. And she asked God, God, why did you leave me? Why did you let me walk by myself? Where were you? And God looks at the woman and says, those aren't your footprints, those are mine. That's the times in which I was carrying you. Those are the times in which you couldn't walk for yourself So I I helped you, I supported you, I loved you. The best part about this scripture lesson is that the very thing that allowed Mary to see the world with this new lens, to view the invisible, to see the reality, is also offered to you and me because of this baby that's about to be born. Mary experienced it and sang about it because she was the first person to encounter Christ because she was the Christ bearer. She was the one who brought that life into the world. So she was able to see with this new vision, this new reality before anybody else. But now, because God became human, because the word was made flesh, you and I can see the reality to which God is creating on this earth. And we realize a few things. As that video said that we watched, in all seasons of life, God is always there. We can now look back and see that even in the times where it felt like God was absent and we didn't understand, that doesn't mean that God was not present. Because of Christ, we can view this world through this lens of kingdom coming to earth. Have you ever noticed we use that phrase a lot? God, make your kingdom known on earth as it is in heaven. Help us to know it. Help us to see it. Have you ever heard that as Christians, we often say, we're trying to make the presence of the Holy Spirit known in your lives, in the lives of the people. That God is already present in your life before you even know it. As Wesleyans, we call that provenient grace, that God goes before us. But it is because of this Christ incarnate, this baby on Christmas coming to earth, this God who loves us coming to earth, that we now can see the ways in which God was already at work before we even knew God. 
before we even knew what love was. We are now able to, to experience God that is infinite. We can, we can understand that we can't understand everything, but we can also have a taste of infinity. We can know this God that is beginning and end, alpha and omega, the God that has been, the God that is, and the God that always will be because a baby was born. Jesus is that which allows us to glimpse this reality that is beyond the comprehension, that is indescribable. Every year at Christmas, we say, Emmanuel, God with us, love came down, word made flesh. And we make these claims, not just because they make us feel good or because they remind us of all the, the festivities, but because we believe them. We believe that God came down in human form so that we could be in relationship with God. Isn't that just crazy? Isn't it mind-blowing? If you think about it, if you break it down. So as I land this plane, as I wrap up this sermon, our band's gonna, they're gonna be coming back up on stage in just a minute, and we're gonna be playing through the, the last song, and it's one of my favorite songs, like, of all time. And I listen to it often times when I write my sermons. And as we get prepared for this communion table, I wanna finish by saying this. You know, I was thinking throughout the week about these silly questions that I was gonna start the sermon with about how does a fish know it's in water and all these things. And I realized that there actually is a time when a fish is very aware that it exists in water. And that's when it's removed from the water, right? A fish realizes that, that it needs water when, it has that wa- when that water is no longer available. Like much of our life, um, we come to know things often when they are taken away. I mean, similarly, the, the time in which we don't have any sound waves available is like more alarming than when we're inundated with sound, right? Because it's so infrequent. When, when's the last time you didn't have any noise and you heard like pure silence? The times we're most aware of noise and sound and sound waves is when they are absent. We would be very aware that nitrogen was a part of our atmosphere if it was ever taken away pretty quick. And the reason I think most of us are oblivious to the way in which the love of God is present in our lives at all time is because we've never been without it. We've never been without it. Even before we understood, even before we knew Christ, we've never, Romans tells us that there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Not powers or principalities, not heights or depths, nothing of this world can ever separate you from the love of God. And so it's almost like we've been with this presence our entire life but Jesus is the, the, the God-made flesh is the way in which we now understand it, the way in which we now know it, the way in which we now know that no matter what we've thought, no matter what's been going on, no matter how if we've doubted or we've come from difficult backgrounds, no matter what we have done or what we have said, that there's nothing that has ever separated us from that love. God is always with you. God will always be with you. God will always be with all of us. And our desire as Christians is just to get to know that love better, to fall deeper in love with God, to grow closer to this infinity reality through the person of Jesus Christ. 
through this communion table, through the way we treat each other, through the way we live like Jesus. God has always been with us and God will always be with us. And that's the good news of Christmas. Will you pray with me?